Why are you so into Pinot? <laughs> I mean, it's like a thing with you. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's a hard grape to grow, as you know, right? So it's, uh, it's thin skin, temperamental, ripens early. It's, you know, it's not a survivor like Cabernet, which can just grow anywhere and uh, thrive even when it's neglected. No, Pinot needs constant care and attention. You know, and in fact, it can only grow in these really specific little tucked away corners of the world. Now the story of an eclectic fan base who lost touch with reality and the one podcast that somehow holds them all together. It's the Substandard Expanded Universe. You are listening to the SSEU podcast. We are coming to you from the midst of the coronavirus crisis. Toilet paper supplies are running low, stores are out of Lysol, and people are eating Tide Pods instead of using hand sanitizers. Welcome to 2020. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, Thomas. It has been a surreal day. We are recording on Wednesday evening. Um, we don't know what the world's going to look like in a week. It, it seems like uh, so they just canceled the rest of the NBA season. I'm I mean, it's been a surreal day watching Twitter. We I just witnessed uh, Sarah Palin dressed as a furry singing baby got back. <laughs> I, I just don't even know what's happening. I I posted in premium that did I drop acid without realizing it? Because this is what I would imagine that would feel like. So, do you do you know of the show, uh, The Masked Singer, which is what she appeared on? Yeah, I know of the show, yes. It, it seems like a lot of people are enjoying it, but I would never in a million years have imagined that Sarah Palin would be one of the, one really, of the contestants. No? Really? Like, is it that big of a surprise? Well, I mean, th- does she have an audience outside of Wasilla, was- Alaska? Don't make me say it, but I mean, you know, when people get to the end of their kind of uh, run of of being relevant, some people just find ways to stay relevant. Like, you know, maybe Tanya Harding, who resorted to a different career, uh, or at least published a tape that um, kept her in the limelight. So, So you're saying it's like Sarah Palin's lost hurrah? Uh, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. Has she been on any any other of these shows, like Dancing with the Stars or something like that? I think Bristol Palin was on Dancing with the Stars, but like ten years ago. Why would she be on? Okay, no, never mind. So, uh, uh, what do you make of the NBA uh, suspending the season and the NCAA tournament being played without an audience? Thomas, this is wild. We have we have not experienced anything like this. And I hope we don't experience anything like this again. I mean, the Spanish flu uh, back in, uh, what, what year was that, 1918? Um, that killed millions globally. You know, the, I, I remember, you know, as a kid learning about that and being like, wow, you know, millions of people perished. You know, I hope we don't have to deal with a global pandemic like that. But you never know. But like this, like, I've never experienced anything like this in my lifetime of, of public gatherings being, I mean, we've lived through... Ebola and SARS and swine flu and bird avian flu and West Nile and all all sorts of things and and none have shut down the country quite like I expect 
the country to be shut down. So this, this will be interesting. Uh, if uh, you go to Arizona State University and you take a class on globalization or international politics, we'll talk a lot about how the world has become globalized and how everything is connected these days, which makes it, it makes it so much scarier. And it everything yeah. happens so much faster. Yeah. It doesn't help that there's a clown in the Oval Office who doesn't really know what to do. Uh, I had this delusion a few weeks ago, like, oh, that's interesting. You know, this virus is in China and it's spread a few other places. But, oh, we're in South Dakota. We're in flyover country. <laughs> but then I realized, like, think about all the commerce that happens, the people that fly in and out of here, the shipping, the the i mean just there's and and obviously so viruses don't last very long on say a package or something like that but um there's just no hiding from this unless you're maybe in northern sweden far above the arctic circle it's the place to be a village of 50 people almost no one comes or goes it's perfect we are going to talk about contagion on a later episode but you started watching it today right I did, I did, and all I could think is like the like I'm not that far into it, but they um there's this guy riding the bus, and Kate Winslet calls him, and he's she's like get off get off the bus, and this dude like he's like sick, he's sweaty, he's coughing, and he touches like every single handrail on the bus on his way out of the bus. It's like you don't have to know that you're carrying like a deadly virus um, to be considered enough to not touch everything. What's wrong with you people? We live in a society, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, no, so uh, I, I self-quarantined for the past two days, uh, but only because I was a, a Joe with a common cold. I had a moment there in the early stages of the cold where I was like, shit, do I have coronavirus? But I looked up the symptoms. Bro, yeah, so I, I'm speaking from ignorance, but wouldn't you need a fever? Isn't a fever? Yeah. Fever yeah. yeah, you need a fever. You uh, usually have like a cough too, or something like that. And so last week, I I went away um, to our annual clergy retreat, um, and it's a retreat where spouses are invited in. So my wife came for the first time. What, a, and, what about best friends? Uh, best friends are not invited. But Thomas, I'll tell you what: if you want to go next year, I will. I'll find a way for you to go. Deal. Deal. So uh, we drove seven hours, and there's something about driving that, like, I put always, like, guess in my mind a plus-minus of, of, like, how long – over-under of, like, how long it'll take uh, my wife to fall asleep. Because, like, when we drive, she falls asleep. And then when she falls asleep, I listen to a podcast. So I listened to the most recent Glop, and they talked about um, Contagion. Uh, Rob Long, for whatever reason, just loves that movie and watches it again and again and again. All right, all right. So, so before we get to that, so did you not try to also have your wife listen to this podcast? Yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. All right. Go yeah, on. Yeah. But, but I mean, first, I just want to comment on, on the germ stuff. And, and like, I've never loved Jonah Goldberg more than him commenting on just like germophobia. I've never connected with them more. Here's the thing is like the world is a crazy place. Um, so they pointed out that odor is particulate and that these bathrooms, it's insane to build a bathroom with a door handle that you need to touch on the way out. That's crazy. And that also doesn't have a paper. T so, okay, that's fine. If you have a paper towel dispenser, that's fine. I will turn on the faucet. I will wash my hands with soap. Uh, I will grab the paper towel and dry my hands and then use the paper towel to turn off the faucet. If you're touching those faucet handles, 
with clean hands, you're an insane person. But what if, what if they don't have paper towels? Instead, what they have is an air dryer. That those we should burn those places to the ground, Thomas. <laughs> it, it, it's like survival of the fittest. If 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 you built a bathroom that does not have paper towels and has a door that where I have to touch the handle on the way out, burn it down. Burn that mother to the ground. So in fact, on the way home, I stopped at a bathroom, and I, and I looked, and I had to not only like there's no towels, just a, a dryer, which is just blowing feces particles on your hands, which is insane. Uh, so what I did is I like I took my the, the the sink was close enough to the bathroom door, so I like put my foot in the door. I opened the door and put my foot there. And like awkwardly reached my body across the other half of the bathroom so I could get to the sink so I could wash my hands with my foot in the door holding the door open <laughs> so I could get out of the bathroom without touching anything. Uh, but this this is what I was telling you before we started recording. Like I, I will not use the paper towel, but I will open the door with my foot or my elbow on my way out. Like I will not okay, touch. So if, it, if it's one of those things that like you could push down, yeah, you can do an elbow. Right. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not ideal. What about you, Ryan? Are you a germaphobe in public bathrooms? No. I used the bathroom at a Home Depot today, and um, <laughs> they didn't have any uh, – they didn't that's have paper towels t- at all. That's got to be the title of this episode. I used a bathroom at a Home Depot today. <laughs> I know. I had to pee, and then, like, I didn't even think about it until, like, after, like, I finished, and I was, like, washing my hands, and I was looking around for paper towels because – if you've seen, like, Trump supporters say that, like, the hand dryers, they just blow germs all around. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what they say. They do. And and so I was, like, looking for paper towels. There's no paper towels at Home Depot. And so I just started blow drying my hands. But they have that foot thing where you can, like, grab the – it's like a little catch at the bottom of the door where you can mm, pull the yeah, door yeah. open with yeah. your foot. Yeah. So – I didn't have to touch anything because they have automatic they have automatic sinks to where you just put your hand under, water starts, automatic soap dispenser, you just put your hand under, uh, automatic hair dryer or hand dryer. You dry dry your hair, dry your hands at the same time. And then they have the foot thing for the door. So it, I didn't if I didn't touch anything except for my penis inside there. <laughs> if you splash some of that toilet water up as a like a hand, homemade bidet, um, you could just dry your butt with a. Yeah, if I if I had to poop, I would have just turned around and really just like let it let it go to down on me. Do you guys remember the Seinfeld episode where Jerry has been to a public bathroom and his shoelaces came untied yeah. and touched the ground in no, the bathroom? No, 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 no. And he then it was threw his them belt away. buckle. It was his belt buckle. His no, belt these are two different things. These are two different things. It, it was um, never his shoelaces. There was never a Seinfeld episode about his shoelaces. I Please tell it. me what episode this was, then. I, right, I promise you, just, just I've you seen wait. every Seinfeld episode like ten times. At least ten times. It was his belt buckle clanged against the urinal. He said, oh. I unbuckled because, wildly, did you say? Because, yeah, because his girlfriend was like, why is this belt buckle in the trash can? And he's like, oh, I, I unbuckled and it clanked against the inside of the urinal. So that's the end of that. If it's Jerry, he's throwing it in the trash in the men's room. 
he's not like bringing it all the way home and throwing it away. We will fact check this after the episode, but I believe it right now. I'm telling you, I think Ryan's wrong. I think he's wrong. I'm sending him the clip. Find find it. Quit the show. <laughs> so, so it was a seven-hour drive from our home to the place where the retreat was. So we had lots of time for podcasts, and I'll I'll get to 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 Meg encountering the SSEU podcast. But we stopped for dinner, um, and we usually, when we're driving seven hours, we'll just get something quick, fast food. But but we decided to to actually just stop and get some uh, at a Mexican restaurant. We found out that there's a town. Um, it, Googled it. We binged it. I mean, found a Mexican restaurant. It was amazing food. It was, Objection. and it just it really, really hit the spot. And, and what's and funny is, on the way home in that same town, we were in a hurry and we stopped at Taco Bell, and it was the least satisfying dining experience I've question, ever had. Question, question. So, random Mexican place, middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. Amazing. It was amazing. They had a homemade hot sauce it was so good and i was like you know what before i leave i'll just pop into the bathroom you know like you know never miss an opportunity um so uh i, I go to the back of the restaurant and i and i go into like this the skeeziest hallway i've ever seen like it looked like something from a it's always sunny in philadelphia set um and and i look at at the one end there's a door you to the can kitchen drink out of these urinals <laughs> It just looks so trashy, and um, I go inside the bathroom, and I look, and I'm like, there's something weird about this door, and I look, and at some point, someone has has drilled a wheel at the base of the door, that that's their fix for the door, like, the hinge broke, so someone was like, hey, I I have some ingenuity, what if we put a wheel on the door? So Ryan, if you're wondering what those pictures were that it texted yeah, you, yeah, I was. I was like, why is there a wheel down there? <laughs> on the door? <laughs> and look at the door. There's like, there's like, look at that grease by the handle. Um, I'm and, sorry. And, and so, uh, uh, what does the wheel solve? It's no, <laughs> no. So, so like, so Chris and I talked about this before we started recording. It was like, like. So the door must have been tilting down at the end and like dragging along the floor or okay. something. I think right. so. And so, so, it, so it's not like a sanitary thing. It's just no, like no. a you can get out now thing. Well, instead of fixing the hinges, they decided to drill a wheel into the door. Because my guess is previous wheel, people had to like put their weight into the door to get out of the bathroom. Like they're putting their shoulder into it and they're just like, I'm fucking stuck in the bathroom. I'm stuck in the bathroom. And, and they're, they're like, like well, right, how well, we, we did put a wheel in there. Yeah, we should put a wheel on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the distressing thing is the please, you know, please wash hands before returning to work sign is a bit torn and obscured. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not actually clear what that sign Yeah. The employees are like flipping that off as they walk out. <laughs> They're like, like, I can't even read what that sign says. Oh, you, I just, I just drank some coronavirus. I'm not washing my hands. But while they are flipping it off, they also say "my pleasure," and then they walk out. 
10,000 comedy points. <laughs> Should we start awarding comedy points? We might as well. Thomas doesn't listen to the Blank Check yeah. podcast. So Could we just invented that, Thomas. You get, you, you get comedy points. Okay. 10,000 uh, comedy points. 10,000. Um, so, oh, so, wait. So, ha- hang on, Chris. So, I wanted to interrupt here. So, I actually saw on Twitter in the wild the other day uh, someone, I think it was or whatever her name is, uh, she tweeted something that was a legit Anthony Jeselnik joke, passing it off as her own. Oh, and, shit. And it made me so mad. Don't Especially jokes. from Anthony Jeselnik. I mean, everybody listens to him. Thomas, I'm, I'm just so glad that, that you interrupted me for this story. No, that's a good that's story. A good I, I appreciate it. I mean, here's my point, is that... Um, you can never be too careful. Like can you go back I, to the beginning I of your point. I don't even understand that, like the bad hygiene that most people engage in every day. Where like they're saying, just wash your hands really well, like four times a day. Who doesn't wash their hands four well, times a day? I I I agree, and I had a I had a joke because people are like posting these pictures of people at Costco like buying like huge amounts of toilet paper. And they were like, why are people buying toilet paper? And I said, well, I think like half the country wasn't wiping. And they were <laughs> like, okay, now with this coronavirus, I'm going to start wiping just to be safe. All right, wait, wait, so hang on. So, it's the only explanation. Yeah, like I don't understand it. I this. don't like, get it. Well, That's what, the what, only explanation <laughs> is that half the country was not wiping before. And they're like, well, I better start wiping now. Yeah, like what? What is toilet paper supposed to achieve? I don't like, know. I don't know because it has a very specific purpose. And if if you go to the bathroom and wash your hands, don't you have a towel? What are you doing well, with the toilet paper? Well, what it, what it is is it's just fear, and like what I hate is that we have a toilet paper shortage that is completely created by like people I, are like, oh crap. I, um, I went to the HEB today, and I've never seen the toilet paper aisle so empty as I, I did. I, I, I so wouldn't be enough toilet paper for everybody if we didn't. If like a third of the people didn't say, "Hey, there's going to be a toilet paper shortage. I should buy all the toilet paper," thus creating a toilet paper shortage. That's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you, they're like, "Hey, I should start wiping now." Uh, after my self-imposed uh, cold uh, quarantine for two days, uh, I went to the grocery store today, and just for the hell of it, I walked down like the the laundry supply home whatever aisle, and I looked where the hand sanitizer is supposed to be, completely fucking empty. Like there was oh nothing gosh. there. I saw what you know wipes, uh, Clorox yep. wipes. They're all. Well, you've had you've had people in Arizona test positive, right? Like, even uh, in Tempe, right? Uh, nine cases. Yes. We, we've already had a death. There you go. We, we have multiple cases. Oh, um, my gosh. So, so, Travis County, Travis County, they're testing their first person right now. We're, we're, we're corona-free so far, but they're testing the first person. Yeah, like, to, so you're not actually corona-free. We well no, of course not because like the Trump administration has dozens. Been, like, let's let's reduce the number of tests so that we can reduce the number of total cases. Yeah, we we don't want the stock market to tank. We don't we don't want to find out. So oh, so Travis bad. County has like 
has like they're testing their first per. Trevor's hundreds of people walking around with tests at this point. So, so to yeah, top off, there's like three thousand people at Travis County that have it in reality. So, so to top off this surreal day, we find out that Tom Hanks uh, and his wife have a uh, coronavirus, and we see like an hour later, his Wait a son, second. what? His son named he's Chet, a national treasure. His son named Chet is doing the <laughs> rapper, the rapper Chet Hanks. Okay, I don't know who he is. But um, this is something that only happened in 2020, um, like this year where anything can happen. Like he does this video shirtless. Um, (laughs) He's a rapper. (laughs) He's like, I want to record a video to talk to the world about my dad who has coronavirus. Hang on, let me do some push-ups and then take off my shirt so I can send a message to the world. You got to get the pump going, Chris. If you're going to take your shirt off, you want to get a pump going first. Yeah, so did, did you not see this, Ryan? So, yeah, so Tom oh, Hanks yeah. uh, and uh, his wife are suspected of having uh, – no. they suspected they have it. They, they had it. So they are in quarantine for 14 days <laughs> some, somewhere in Australia. Tom Hanks has coronavirus? Yeah, and he's like 70, so he's going to die. Let's expend every resource to keep him safe, please. Guys, we should just do an episode of where we update Ryan on the news. <laughs> I, I, I will – I will send however much money is necessary to make sure that Tom Hanks is cured. Ryan, did you hear that they canceled the NBA season? I've seen something on Twitter about how it's... It's suspended. Ryan, did you hear that they're going to do the... Wait, 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 wait. They're, like, going to play games without people? No, the NBA season is over. Yeah, yeah, because there was a confirmed... Are you serious? Well, yeah, so there was a confirmed case in the game between the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Again, 2020, what happens? Rudy Gobert does this press conference and, like, stupidly decides to mock everybody and touch every single reporter's microphone, then walks back to the locker room. Like, an hour later, it's confirmed that he has coronavirus, and they cancel the game, and then the rest of the season... The only yeah. thing I was gonna watch was yeah. gonna be the well, rest of the NBA. NBA suspends season. What other news can we tell Ryan? <laughs> All I'm saying is, is you just can't be too careful, and I don't mean only in in Corona time. You just can't be too careful in your daily life because so many people are careless, and that's why you use the the um the paper towel to to. to Turn off the thing and open the door. That's why, like, that's why it's great. You should wash your hands as many times a day as possible. In fact, like, my wife thinks I'm crazy. Can you believe that? She thinks I'm crazy. But I'm like, How does your wife why would you? Why would you She's not wash your hands? Why would you not wash your hands before you put away uh, clean dishes? Doesn't she work at the hospital? Yeah. Isn't that just common sense? Before I touch anything clean, I'm gonna wash my hands. Anyway, so uh, to kind of finish up, um, my wife has never listened to our podcast. <laughs> and so what better way to get her to start than to have her as a captive audience in the car in a seven-hour drive? And so I texted Thomas and Ryan. I was like, what episode should I ever listen to? And, and they're like, well, she likes Shannon. Play the Shannon one. So I played the second Shannon episode, the Moana one. And at, like... She is just nervously laughing, glancing at me in horror, and at about the six-minute mark, she had literally hid her head from me. Like, her head was inside her shirt, 
she could not believe what she was hearing. Um, needless to say, I think it we haven't wasn't anything I said. What, was she hiding her face because she was laughing so much? Or? Right, that sounds right. That sounds yeah, right. it's the only interpretation I have, is that she was proud of me and just thrilled at the podcast and, and is a subscriber. So so I'm really excited about that. We have added another listener to the show. That is, that is great. Can I tell you guys about uh, something I've done in the past week that uh, I'm sort of proud of? You pooped. That's a frequent occurrence, Chris. Uh, but so I, uh, re- I recently went on a date. This time we had like, it was a pretty good first date. I could tell that she was really interested, whatever. And then uh, two days later, uh, instead of ghosting her and not talking to her anymore, I sent her a very nice text message saying that I, I enjoyed uh, our, <laughs> uh, our drinks together. But uh, sadly, she was... And uh, I was not interested. No, I, I, did, I did not say that. Uh, but I said that there was... <laughs> I said that there was no romantic... You allowed to say that, Thomas. <laughs> now, At what point are we supposed to be proud of you, Thomas? So uh, I told her that there wasn't any spark and that uh, I'm not interested in pursuing anything romantic. And that was it. And this is like, this is my one advice. If we have people out there listening to this who are like actually out there dating, instead of ghosting someone, just tell them you're not interested. It is so much better. It is so much more respectful. It clears up any doubt that you might have or that the other person might have. You might feel like a jerk for telling someone that, oh, I'm not interested in you. But in the end, everyone will appreciate it. Say no to ghosting. No, but I totally agree. I think I think we're in a really, really wimpy society that ghosts and and makes up excuses rather than just like is honest and straightforward and assertive and just says, you know, it just saves everyone a lot of time. Yeah, like if you don't feel a spark and you're not interested in another person, just tell them. And you could be nice. You'd be like, hey, like it was fun doing that. Um, I just, yeah, I didn't see a, a connection or a spark or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't have to tell them to their face that they Thomas. All right. So, so Ryan is a bit sideways, which Chris brings us... We're still going to talk about sideways? Chris. Speaking Cole. of sideways, Thomas, I understand that you read the novel Sideways, which I lent to you. Look at that paperback, Ryan. He read the paperback that belongs to me by Rex Pickett. Uh, a wonderful and delightful book. Hilarious, poignant, um, very good. Thomas, t- tell us about the book. All right, so uh, Sideways uh, is the novel by Rex Pickett. It is his first novel about Miles and Jack who go on a road trip for, I think it's a week that the road trip is supposed to last before Jack is supposed to get married. So Jack and Miles are friends since college. Miles is an unemployed writer struggling to make ends meet because he's not able to sell books to publishers. But he has a massive interest in wine. So for uh, Miles and Jack's last trip, uh, while Jack is still free and not married, they decide to go up to California wine country and go and visit a bunch of different vineyards. It's essentially a story about friendship. It's a story about friendship when... Friendship might be about to start to break off because one of you is getting married or whatever. Like the caption on the paperback is, the ultimate road trip, the last hurrah. 
you can tell from reading this book that it's a, it's a fairly personal book, I think, for Rex Pickett. So Rex Pickett, before he managed to publish Sideways, uh, he was a writer, a screenwriter. He hadn't been too successful, which is what Miles is throughout this novel. He is a writer who is not terribly successful in publishing his novels. He keeping in touch with his publisher throughout. I'm sure that, like Rex Pickett, would probably say that it is somewhat uh, autobiographical uh, of like his his own life. That that that, that about sums it up. I would I would di- differ in what it's about, but yeah. Spoiler warning, Chris. What is it about? I think it's it's a morality tale. Uh, the the Jack Jack's slow devolution uh, devolution into kind of just self seeking and and just hedonism, uh, which is is limitless and um, you're you're never um, satiated. And uh, I mean, there's this pathetic moment, and of course we're we're well into spoilers here. Um, near the end, when he's got this broken nose and he left his rings his wallet with the rings um in this one woman this waitress's house that uh he had slept with and he's at rock bottom and he's just crying and begging miles like you you just see this this just pathetic the it's like a real life dorian gray so uh, a picture of dorian gray is is a novel where um this picture of this man in an hidden in an attic um becomes deformed and disgusting and and kind of takes on the sin of the man where in this case like this the like his his um kind of his uh fall into just this this uh i mean the guy's getting married on saturday and he's just like sleeping with women and just like not just sleeping with them it's not like oh he happened into it he was actively seeking to quote unquote get it out of his system and um and, and it takes this like physical manifestation and so there there's certainly laughs along the way there's friendship but ultimately miles is just um especially the movie and we'll talk about the differences between the movie and and the and the book is just really irritated with how childish jack is um and so ultimately i think it's it's very much a morality tale at least the scene in the book and i feel like also the scene in the movie where jack is crying because he's left his wallet uh, with uh, the rings at the waitress's mm-hmm. place uh, he's faking it right like he's he, is he's doing it to manipulate miles yeah like he is not actually crying like he mm. he he feels zero remorse over it he just wants to get miles to actually retrieve those rings i Wait. think that is maybe more clearer in the book than it is in the movie but i feel like he is not actually like those tears are not that genuine tears i mean he's a sociopath like he all like it's and, and you could tell him like scheming to like that like the day before that he's going to crash miles car um just so it like uh, so there's an excuse for why um which which is t- hilarious and like that's depicted very funny in the movie how how that happens but you could tell his like the gears turning in his head like i'm going to crash this car so that we have an excuse for his broken up face how do you feel that uh, the book adapted to the screen how do how do you feel that it worked so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, what I would say is, is um, I, I really want to treat them differently because it almost seems like the movie. It's hard to appreciate the movie once you've read the book because the book, the, the Pickett, is such a gifted writer in just describing Miles and his his struggles with anxiety and his self loathing, but also just the the funny um, uh, interactions between them and and like the, he does stuff with words that you just can't depict on screen. So I like to think of it more as like the movie is kind of inspired by the book, but in, 
like you have to treat them almost differently because there's there's you I, I remember you said over text that like you think the movie does the end a little bit better, but almost everything the movie doesn't do nearly as well as as the book. Yeah, no, so definitely. So I, I so I uh, I read the book. I actually read Chris's copy of the book that I uh, lent from him when I was there on Thanksgiving, and I finally had a time to finish it. Uh, and so when I did start to get into it, I finished it in just like, I don't know, like over the course of three or four days or something yeah, like sure. that. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, because like it was really like gripping and you wanted to, to know what happened next and so on. And so I finished the book and then the next day I watched the movie. And com- compared to the book, the movie is such a letdown. The book does everything, like as you say, the movie, the book does everything better except for the ending. So okay. the, the ending in the book is that Miles get with uh, Maya or Maya comes to seek out Miles literally at the wedding, at the reception. Mm. Whereas in the movie, it is mm. at some time period afterwards. And so it's like it's less Hollywoody or whatever. And so like Alexander Payne changed the ending a little bit. And I think the ending works better. But everything else in the movie, like the relationship between Miles and Jack, uh, the true nature of Jack and Miles, like everything in the book just works better. Yeah, Pickett is such a, a clever writer that that, that, that stuff is, is just so good. My main quibble with the movie is the casting of Thomas Hayden Church <laughs> as Jack. When you read a book, Jack... Is supposed to be this charismatic man who gets the ladies, who is able to socialize with almost anyone. He's this like sociable Hollywood actor who hasn't quite made it. And then they decide to cast Thomas Hayden Church and every single line that he delivers in this movie sounds like it is a line from a script that he just read. And it really annoyed me throughout the entire movie. Like, uh, I was reading somewhere online that apparently uh, Alexander Payne was in talks to cast uh, George Clooney as Jack, mm. which would have been a much better fit. Yeah. It, it would have been someone who is charismatic, someone who actually can make people, someone who people like, who is like, like even though he's like this immoral character in the book, people like him. Yeah, yeah. Where you just have to... You don't see it on screen. You just have to take it for granted that he's charismatic. <laughs> You're told that he is, or you see that, like, but um, it's it doesn't come across on on screen. No, like, and and if you haven't read the book, I don't feel like I don't feel like you understand that that's what Jack is supposed to be. Right? Like. Yeah, he's just kind of a creep. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of a creep, and he does like the Thomas Hayden Church smile. The last time before the most recent that I watched the movie. Like, it drove me nuts the whole movie. I'm like, why does that smile look familiar? His smile looks exactly like Chris Kattan's <laughs> smile. And I know that's a really obscure reference, but, like, if, if you grew up watching uh, SNL in a certain era, like, their smiles, like, they're, they're kind of lower teeth, the way they show them. They just look very similar. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's really hard to compare the two. Like, the, the movie um, basically takes the highlights of the book and, and tries to convey them, mis- miscasts. Thomas Hayden Church and and um and really struggles in in that regard. Yeah. But I mean, the way that Payne changed the end is interesting. And just like like they had referenced earlier in the movie that uh, that uh, Miles has one prize bottle of wine, a sixty one Cheval Blanc. Rather than going to the wedding reception, he goes and gets he goes home, grabs the bottle, and goes up for fast food, <laughs> has a burger, and fries, and has like 
is drinking out of a styrofoam cup his prized. I don't know how much this bottle of wine would cost, but um, he, he had had this conversation what? with Maya that he said um, she's like, "Do you have any you know special bottles?" He says, "Yeah, I have this one sixty-one Cheval Blanc." That should be drunk he, at their special moment. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I've never, had, I haven't had a special occasion to drink it. And she says, she says, well, the day you open that bottle is the special occasion. Uh, which so, kind of, so, kind so, question, so, Chris, uh, how did you like Paul Giamatti in this movie? I, I, I liked him. Yeah, I mean, he worked, but he is not how I pictured Miles. Like, I, I think he worked as as Miles, but like when you read the book, I pictured someone a little bit different. And uh, it's just hard to convey just the self-loathing and and just the, um, the anxiety and all that stuff. And and he, I think he did a fine job. What do you think? I think he did. A, I think he did a pretty get, great job. So yeah. there are a few things that are changed between the book uh, and the movie. So in the book, uh, Miles is really just an author and a not very successful one, struggling to make ends meet whereas in the book he is actually an english teacher and so he actually has an income yeah he's a middle school english teacher because of course what's more pathetic than a middle school teacher right <laughs> so i think paul giamatti giamatti works i think that virginia madsen works uh, and i think that sandra O oh also yeah. works like in this I, movie. Yeah. Yeah. I just i think that thomas hayden church ruined it for me i think that he was so bad mm. and that's Every line that he said just sounded rehearsed. But it's interesting how, like, one book... So the book is named Sideways, and I assume that Sideways is another word for just, like, being wasted or being, like, yeah. really drunk, yeah. right? Yep, yep. Uh, and after the movie came out, sales of Pinot Noirs in the U.S. apparently increased. They went up. Yes, yes, very much. And there's a rumor that, that Merlot sales tanked. I don't know how much they tanked, but they they remained stagnant as Sideways actually did wonders for the California wine industry, um, and and uh, it did hurt Merlot um, at like as other ones outpaced the growth of Merlot just because he like he like really condescendingly he's like <laughs> if they order Merlot I'm not I'm, I'm walking out of there you know. Yeah, and um, so so that is one thing that doesn't really translate to the movie. So there's like one scene before Jack and Miles enter the restaurant to chat with the two girls, where he's like, he, like he says something condescending about Merlot, but other than that, it doesn't really appear. Whereas in the book, it is like several locations in the book where he just trashes it, and it's like, <laughs> it, it, it's a wine for people who don't understand wine or something like that and uh in the movie the what the reason it comes up is is the miles is uh, is just he's been divorced for two years it's interesting uh in the book did he cheat on his wife did they mention yes. that in the book okay so like it's kind of his fault that that fell apart but he's still a mess about it and um Thomas Hayden, uh, Jack just wants to just have fun he's getting married on Saturday that's not going to stop him from getting this all out of his system and um, so, like, the first day up there, he's, like, looking to hook – like, he sees um, this waitress, and he's, like, you know, Miles, like, why don't you go after her? Um, like, she's into you. Um, and Miles uh, has low self-esteem and and is, is just dealing with all kinds of personal demons. Jack sets up a double date for them to go, and, and like, Miles is just kind of freaking out, taking – popping Xanax, like, he just <laughs> want to go in. Just and like JBL. Jack just wants a wingman. He's just, like – I need you to go in there and just be a good wingman 
even if they order Merlot, and he's like, I am not like I'm walking out of there if they order Merlot. <laughs> yeah. And so so uh, and another thing that is different between the book and the movie is that in the book, Jack actually gives Maya money to sleep with Jack. <sighs> oh, uh, sleep with Miles. Do you remember this? I, I didn't. Yeah. So so in the Did book, she takes it. Yeah, she takes it, which adds a whole layer of complexity. Yeah, yeah, and 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 like a good layer of complexity. Yeah, and so yeah. like so the book is so much more in depth, and I I suggest that if if any of you are actually like listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, try to read the, the book first. Yeah, it, it will be so much more enjoyable. I mentioned my wife earlier, um, and I you guys even mentioned that she works in healthcare. She's she's a pharmacist. She's always been a woman of science and and less interested in more literary things. She likes like, this was, book, right? She likes it, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was so proud of her. We were watching this movie back in the day. I don't remember if the book carries the awkwardness of, like, they go back to to um, Stephanie's place, and then Jack and Stephanie just disappear, and they're, like, totally, they're getting it on. And so it's, like, Miles and Maya are stuck, like, like, they know what's going on in the other room, but, like, they're not ready to, you know... They're they're not ready for that yet, and so they're just stuck talking. It's kind of awkward. But anyway, uh, a few minutes later, they go outside and and they're just talking. And, and Miles like, so like, why are you into Pino? And um, Miles says, like, why are you so into Pino? And, and he says, I don't know. It's a hard grape to grow, as you know. <laughs> it's it's thin skin, temperamental, mm-hmm. ripens early. It's not yeah. a survivor like Cabernet that can grow anywhere and thrive even when neglected. Pino needs constant care and attention. And in fact, can only grow in specific little tucked away corners of the world. And only the most patient and nurturing growers can do it, really, can tap into Pino's most fragile, delicate qualities. Only when someone has taken the time to truly understand its potential can Pino be coaxed into its fullest expression. And then when that happens, its flavors are the most haunting and brilliant and subtle and thrilling and ancient in the planet. I mean, Cabernets can be powerful and exalting, but they seem prosaic. To me, for some reason, by comparison, and 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 like Meg turns to me and she says, "He's talking about himself." And I'm like, "What?" Like, yeah. <laughs> but like, I I was just like amazed that like uh, she kind of picked up on that. Um, but that that, that was kind of just kind of a yeah, good exchange. And and, and uh, so like so in the movie, right after that, after Miles says that, Virginia Madsen goes on like a speech of her own of why she likes wine. Which uh, apparently critics really enjoyed uh, when the movie came out. Like Virginia Madsen, Madsen's speak about wine is is so great. I wanted to point one thing out before we stop to talk about Sideways. Sideways uh, premiered in two thousand and four, I think. Uh, it had a production budget of sixteen million dollars. It made at the box office a hundred and ten million. Whoa. So like that's a pretty good profit. Yeah, uh, and and if in, in inflation adjusted dollars, I mean that's, I mean you do the math, but yeah. a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, like for for a very small movie, yeah. Yeah, and this is only the third Alexander Payne movie I've seen. I've seen uh, downsizing, the Descendants, and downsizing. Uh, and I would say that downsizing is fucking terrible. The Descendants is okay, and this is by far his best movie, I think. What? You like The Descendants? Yeah, Virginia Madsen, her, uh, Maya's uh, response is, is pretty good. And I, I, I agree with that. Um, 
it, it is interesting on how they talk about the glories of wine, and and she, she is a you talks about old wines and and how they continue to evolve, and and on any particular day you open it, it'll it'll be different than any other day, and yet like many people use this as like a pretext to just get smashed on on <laughs> wine, like totally apart from the complexity of of the flavors, and in fact you know why you know the. Uh, this book kind of helped contribute to that, to people kind of like um, – I, I, you yeah. saw the depictions of these tasting rooms. Like they weren't super fancy. We're now like – like where it used to be very rustic, like you'd go into kind of a barn and they'd pour you – pour give you some pours. And now it's um, you're a, a lot nicer and, and more expensive and just bigger dollar uh, tourism. Yeah, because like uh, I think in the book they say that uh, – uh, a tasting at the winery costs like five bucks or something like that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure that it is much more today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Um, uh, where, where the, the tastings used to be very cheap and, and, and the, the assumption was they would make up money, um, by selling you a case of wine. Okay. Uh, all right. So, uh, anything else to say about, uh, sideways? I nope. feel like- uh, drink, drink, uh, drink good Pinot Noir. <laughs> well, I, I, I do think it was interesting that this takes place in like, um, not even Santa Barbara, Santa Santa Inez. Um, uh-huh. like like not a not a like everyone thinks of Napa and and Sonoma, like mm-hmm. further up north and even Russian River area. Um, where this is this is considerably south and and just really um still I think would be considered more backwater. I mean, when you looked at the hotel they stayed at and like it was like a not a Super Eight but something like that and like they would walk to the hitching post didn't look particularly nice but they're you know pouring these amazing wines at, at a very ordinary um, place. Yeah, so they're in the Buellton uh, Santa Ines Valley or whatever that is called uh, in the book. No, so uh, my recommendation is that the movie is good on its own terms. Uh, like, watch that if you want to. But really, you probably should read the book first because the book is such a joy to read it is so much better than a movie, and I really think that you should read it before you watch it. I have a, I have a remember when. Are you ready for this, Chris? I'm ready. I was reminded of this when our friend Victorino Mattis made a tweet the other day, and Vic tweeted about the corona crisis and how it would be great if we had a machine that would allow us to do, like, instant like finger pricks to get blood samples and then test that blood sample like if Mm. we had a machine to do that and he was obviously referring to elizabeth holmes and theranos and i'm like do do you remember that like that's not too many years ago well i feel like it was like one year ago that they discussed it on on the uh, podcast yeah so like the, the decline of the company started like i don't know like three years ago if that's when it was discovered that it was all a fraud. Well, and, and JVL's argument on see, I know almost nothing about this. I didn't follow any of this. Everything I know, I learned on the on okay. the sub beacon. Uh, but but JVL's like this never like anyone who knows science should have never put money into this because like from the from the from the beginning it was fraudulent. Like there's no way to do that. Like you need a larger sample. Um, to do many of the things that they promised that they could do. There's just no physical way to do it, except unless you trust, like, the unparalleled uh, ingenuity of, of, like, Silicon Valley. Yeah, no, and, and like, it is, it is insane to me. Like, how did they think that they could get away with it? 
Like it's, that, it's brazen. Uh, I don't know. And, and at one point, the company was valued at nine billion dollars. It is insane. Even though everyone, like experts and everyone else said that, there is no way you can do that by just like doing a blood a sample from blood, a finger. Yeah. yeah. Generally, the explanation appears to be that she was able to build her company based on the, the reputation of people like Henry Kissinger, Hillary Clinton, George Schultz, James Mattis, Betsy DeVos. And like, like she was connected and she managed to talk a good game. But st- th- that is insane. This is one of the reasons why JVL only games like two chairs for capitalism. This makes me want to uh, watch the uh, the documentary because um, I am I am kind of fascinated by fraud. I, I remember watching a bunch of stuff on Anne Hathaway's ex boyfriend um, and the fraud that he perpetrated. Um, it, I was just fascinated by it, like and just these people who think they can get away with it, and and it, it works for a couple of years until they catch up to you, but. Like, there's just only so, like, when you're a total fraud, there's only so far that you can go. Like, you have to actually have a product. Right. Like, like what is the end game for these people? What is it that they think they can do to keep it going? <sighs> that's a good question. And uh, that's just. That, I don't think it's just like, oh, it'd be fun to live like I'm rich for a few years and then go to jail. I think <laughs> it's that, like, they, they delude themselves into thinking they can just stay ahead, that they're that smart. Yeah, and so we we might do an episode on the HBO documentary uh, The Inventor, Out for Blood in Silicon Valley, which is the documentary about Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, we might do a show on that, sort of like the Sabican did a show on, uh, what was it called? Not Firefly, Fire Festival? Well, they they did one, I think, on, on the documentary you just mentioned. I believe they did. I will check the archives before we get back. Chris, is there anything else that you want to tell our audience tonight? Uh, wash your hands, people. Wash your hands. Every chance you can get. It's great. That is always good advice. Uh, we thank you all for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at SSEUPod. You can email us at SSEUPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also tweet at JVLast on Twitter uh, with whatever comments that you might have. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Also, buy all the toilet paper you possibly can. Doesn't matter if you need it. glass of water before we continue? It's a good idea. You're like, Ryan, really go stupid. get a glass of water. I don't think I should move before we continue. <laughs>
Oh man, our premium customers who are watching the video of this, Ryan, <laughs> just this is this is great. 